Hello and welcome to I Want to Fight Araki, a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Close Analysis podcast. And uh, yeah, it, it is a semi-historic day because we are covering uh, the end of uh, Battle Tendency uh, today. Uh, but first, I uh, should probably do introductions because sometimes I forget to do that. I'm Thomas. <laughs> and I'm Emily. And today we are covering, as I mentioned previously, the end of Battle Tendency, Season 1, Episodes 24, 25, and 26, Battle Tendency Episodes 15, 16, and 17. Last time I have to say what season it is. So with all that said, let's get into the summary. The beef. The beefy summary. This is is the longest summary I've ever written. It's going to be a long episode. It's going to be great. Yeah, we got to be for furry folks. Anyway, as the final battle begins, Jojo is already struggling, not only with holding up the unconscious Lisa Lisa, but also having been severely weakened from the battle with Wamu. Nevertheless, Jojo continues to fight, delivering a kick to cars that barely faces the Pillar Man as it is absent from it is as it is absent of Hamon, with cars countering with his arm blades. With Von Straheim preoccupied with the vampire army, things look dire only for Jojo to explain to Cars that he has a plan that will stop the Pillar Man. Immediately after saying this, Jojo lights his scarf on fire as a means of encouragement. Cars is bewildered but doesn't underestimate Jojo, attacking Joseph and swearing vengeance for his fallen brethren. Jojo dodges but Cars grows tired of Joseph's shenanigans and threatens to cut Lisa Lisa's rope leading to her death via crystal spikes. Joseph attacks nonetheless. Cars cuts the rope, and and the shock sends Lisa Lisa and Jojo plummeting to their deaths, when suddenly, Cars is forced to the ground. It is revealed that Jojo was able to switch the knotting of the ropes and wrap a loop around Cars as a means of trapping the Pillar Man. With Cars unable to move, Jojo swings himself back up to Cars. Jojo puts all of his remaining Hamon into one powerful strike as Cars counterattacks with his blades, but it is not enough as Cars' blades and arm shatters, sending the Pillar Man plummeting to the spikes below. As Jojo pulls up Lisa Lisa and takes her to safety, Smokey questions Speedwagon as to why they can't tell Jojo Lisa Lisa is his mother. In order to paint a p- picture, Speedwagon tells Lisa Lisa's backstory to Smokey. Lisa Lisa's real name is actually Elizabeth, and once she was grown, she grew close to Arena's son, George Joestar II with them eventually marrying and having a child, Jojo. George was an ace pilot for the Royal Air Force in Britain, earning much acclaim. However, their happiness would not last. When Jonathan and his friends encountered Dio 50 years ago, one of Dio's zombies escaped, and throughout the years eventually placed himself within the Royal Air Force. George, having a strong sense of justice, realized something was up about his commanding officer and confronted him, only for him to be devoured by the zombie. Official reports indicated he had died in a plane crash, but suspecting foul play, Speedwagon and Straitso found the true cause of his death and reported it to Elizabeth. In a rage, Elizabeth murdered the zombie, but was caught in the middle of the act by a random soldier. With Elizabeth Joestar having become a wanted woman, she fled to Italy and changed her name to Lisa Lisa, leaving the young Jojo in the care of Arena and Speedwagon. Not wanting to lose another family member to Hamon, Arena forced Speedwagon to keep quiet about the circumstances of Jonathan and George's death. Smokey cries at the tragedy of the tale, but says the battle is over, so there's no point in hiding it. Meanwhile, von Storheim's superweapon finishes its pre- preparations, and just before it fires at the body of Cars, Cars turns to face it, wearing the mask and the stone inserted. 
Unable to stop the weapon, Cars' body begins to flash a rainbow light after absorbing the light of the UV amp before it stops and he becomes the Ascendant One. Everyone is at first terrified of the new Cars, but Von Stroheim points out that the Hamon in his body from Jojo's last attack is eating away at him. That is, until Cars instantly heals his wounds. He then creates a squirrel out of his hand, much to the group's bewilderment. They first believe the animal to be innocent until it is revealed to be a vampire squirrel that devours another squirrel and also kills many of von Stroheim's men, before Cars turns it into a flower and then back into his hand. Everyone takes a sigh of relief as the sun rises and annihilates the vampire army, as well as believing it will kill Cars, but the ascended pillar man is unaffected. Cars says that he has become the pinnacle of all organic life on Earth, now possessing no weaknesses. Jojo says he has a plan, however. Grabbing the Stone of Aja, Jojo runs away from the battle. Carter says the only way to properly ring in his new body is to kill his former nemesis, Jojo, transforming his arms into wings to pursue Jojo. Eventually, Jojo makes it to a, a cliffside, which he jumps off of with Cars pursuing, only for the Pillar Man to be caught off guard once Jojo appears in von Stroheim's Nazi plane. The two face each other in midair, with Cars displaying his ability his abilities by mutating the feathers from his wings into armadillo shells to act as projectiles. Realizing the only thing he can do is buy time, Jojo steers the plane away from the group despite having only two more hours of fuel. Upon examination of a map, though, Jojo realizes there is a volcano nearby and theorizes that it could still be used to kill cars as it contains the hottest substance on Earth, magma. As Jojo approaches the volcano, he loses contact with Speedwagon and the and the gang, I don't know what that sentence is, and the gang, leading Speedwagon to fear the worst and lament the fate of the Joestars, who always have to sacrifice themselves. Meanwhile, Cars unleashes another attack on Jojo, shooting live piranhas at the plane, devouring some of the plating, as well as a spare parachute. As the plane begins to descend, a parachute is thrown from the plane, but when Cars goes in for the kill, it is revealed to be a dummy, and the Pillar Man is hit dead on by the plane. After composing himself, Cars says that he can easily move out of the way of the plane, but suddenly a metal hand grabs Cars' neck, forcing him onto the plane. The metal hand belongs to Von Stroheim, who stowed away in one of the plane's landing gears. As the plane, along with Cars, dives into the magma, Von Stroheim saves Jojo by holding Jojo as they fall, leading to Von Stroheim shattering his metal legs. Jojo and Von Stroheim take a moment to rest when suddenly a massive geyser of magma shoots into the air, revealing that Cars is still alive. Cars attempts to climb out of the magma using various animal shells as protection, but continues to falter. As Jojo looks into the crater, Cars eventually disappears into the magma. As Jojo and Von Stroheim walk away, however, Cars appears from a crack in the ground and cuts off Jojo's hand. Cars, surviving by creating a Cars surviving by creating armor with air pockets. At this point, the narrator explained Cars' backstory. Thousands of years ago, there existed an entire race of pillar men. Still having a weakness to sunlight, they resided in underground cities and rarely had children. They lived peacefully with humanity, but a young Cars resented the need to stay hidden during the day and vowed to conquer the world. He did so by creating the stone masks, which augmented his powers, but required him to absorb the life force of living beings more frequently. The other members of his race attempted to stop him, but Cars had grown too powerful and slaughtered them all, including his own parents. He then took the two remaining infants and, with ACDC, raised them 
while they pursued the red stone of Aja to achieve true ascendance. In the present, Kara says that Jojo's screams are music to his ears, but undeterred, Jojo counterattacks with a Hamon kick, which Kara's is barely phased by, before Kara's begins channeling his own Hamon. Kara's Hamon is revealed to be several degrees stronger than Jojo as it starts to melt Jojo's leg. Kara's continues to channel his Hamon, saying it will be sweet irony to have Jojo be killed by Hamon. Just before Kara's delivers the final blow, however, Jojo instinctively holds up the red stone of Aja. The stone channels Kara's Hamon into a powerful laser beam that blasts into the volcano, triggering an eruption. Von Straheim is thrown by the explosion while Jojo and Kara's rocket into the sky on a piece of rock. Kara's attempts to fly away by transforming his arms into wings once more, but just as he is about to fly away, Jojo's severed arm grabs onto Kara's neck with Kara's caught off with cars caught off guard, the disparate rocks from the volcano rocket cars into space as Jojo finally succumbs to his wounds and dies. In space, Cars attempts to use his powers to re-enter Earth's atmosphere, but fails as the vacuum of space keeps freezing his efforts. Eventually, Cars is frozen into a statue destined to drift alone in space forever and causing him to lose his mind. Three months, la three months later, Jojo's friends and family gather at his grave site to mourn the loss of the last of the Joe stars until who should appear but Jojo, along with Susie Q. Jojo explains that he was picked up by a fishing boat and brought back to Italy, where Susie Q nursed Jojo back to health and eventually married him, Von Straheim also supplying Jojo with a new robotic hand. Confused as to why everyone thinks he is dead, Susie Q explains that she didn't actually send any telegram, and as Jojo berates her, we see a montage of the supporting characters. Lisa Lisa explained her true to Jojo, her true identity, and moved with him and Susie Q to America, where she eventually fell in love with a Hollywood screenwriter. Arena continued as a teacher and died peacefully in 1950, surrounded by her loved ones. Speedwagon continued his philanthropy work, facilitating the Speedwagon Foundation to create to make great strides in fields of technology and medicine before dying with no heir at the age of 89. Smokey worked his way through college, majoring in political science, before becoming the first black mayor of a town in his home state of Georgia. Von Stroheim was equipped with another cybernetic body and, and died fighting in the Battle of Stalingrad. Time passes, and the year is 1987. Jojo is waiting in an airport for his flight to Tokyo, but is accidentally bumped by a Japanese man. Jojo responds by kicking the man in the shin, saying he will never forgive the Japanese, for causing his daughter and grandson to live across the world. But nevertheless, Jojo boards the plane to visit his daughter and grandson as his next bizarre adventure begins. End of battle tendency. After the credits, however, we see that in 1984, a fishing vessel pulled up a coffin emblazoned with the name Dio, while in 1987, a mysterious young man sits alone in a jail cell. In two weeks, Stardust Crusaders begins. Ooh spicy yeah I, I added some jazz to the end of that one <laughs> we, we love a good jazz solo right there that's very good there is saxophone in the op of this season there is right. hold on i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah it's like jazzy as hell yeah it is jazzy all anyway, right anyway i know you have some chonky chonk notes chonky notes so uh so chonky why don't you start off uh, first? Oh boy, where the heck do I start? <laughs> There's a lot. I'm, I'm trying to decide between two ways to start. Um, 
Is one of them yeah. cars related? Uh, yes. Okay, well, why don't we, uh... One of them is a continuation, part 75, of my um, (laughs) environmentalism theory. (laughs) Well, okay, then why don't we start with the continuation uh, before we get into the It's a great continuation. It's, it, it, you know, I have a conclusion, TM. I figured it all out. (laughs) I thought about it. I was like, hold up. I get it now. It was galaxy brain like approximately an hour ago when I was watching it. I was like, bruh. Let's just say that after, this is the third time I've watched part two, okay? (laughs) And the first time I watched it, I was like not vibing with it that much surprisingly enough and then the second time I watched it I was like okay this is really fun and the third time I watch it now that I have to take notes I'm like okay I actually love this a lot because it's actually like genius in the most low-key way possible like yeah there's so many cool attention to details like I I I like I uh I really enjoyed watching Battle Tendency the first time um but I sort of felt like some things kind of you know got pulled out of you know it Things just kind of came out of nowhere. The um, but this time, like watching it a second time, I can appreciate like all the little like bits and details that sort of foreshadow upcoming events. So like things aren't as out of nowhere as uh, they used to seem. See, part two is great, but like these last five episodes are absolutely fantastic, and I feel like they're some of my favorite episodes in like the entire franchise so far. Mm-hmm. Like, it's only, like, seconded. Actually, I'm not, it's, like, right up there with, like, some of my favorite parts about part five. So that's, like, that's, that's, that's good stuff right there. Absolutely. Um, so if y'all have been listening to this, I have a big theory. I call it the I am the pillar man. I speak for the trees <laughs> theory. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I've, I came up with this theory of environmentalism, but it's gotten so much farther it's great i love thinking about this it brings me dopamine um so tech versus nature you got these two just a slight recap you got you got the humans and you got the pillar men right the reason one of the reasons why cars is trying to you know take over the world is because he thinks that humans suck for several mm-hmm. reasons. One, they're just, he thinks they're weak and they're stupid and they do bad things and he likes to save dogs and people like to kick dogs. I mean, <laughs> that's just, that's been shown many times. Um, cough, cough, D.O. cough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, we, okay, I need to, I, I didn't organize these as well as I thought I did. So, <laughs> so, um, it, it's, I established before that I noticed that neither the human characters or the pillar men characters were anywhere close to perfect symbols of, you know, their respecting sides of the debate, I guess, is basically the pillar men being nature and humanity being technology. I realized that they were not, you know, perfect examples of each because cars used technology like the stone mask is consider it's some sort like you know he created that that's that's technology and then you also mm-hmm. got like he, the the people <laughs> our boy we got we got a bunch of like military grade weapons happening here because the nazis are involved for some reason uh, <laughs> <coughs> uh 
okay. <laughs> <laughs> I keep losing it, and now I got to go back to it. Yeah, so, I obviously mean, obviously it's it's been shown that okay, I got it now. <laughs> okay, it's been shown that neither of them. It's you, you have the, the good guys are surprisingly enough on the side of technology and the bad guys are surprisingly enough supposedly on the side of nature so and that's something that you don't see very often and i always thought it was more accurate to portray it like that because once again humans when they use technology they don't always do something bad with it it can be bad but it also can be good and i feel like part two represents that perfectly um surprisingly enough something i didn't realize the first two times i watched it but another interesting detail i noticed is we have um the, the pillar men as a species they were originally very peaceful and did not really war with each other it was cars's specific ambition that turned him into a monster that needed to drain life from other things at an alarming rate and because of this threat his people agreed to pretty much end him like, we need to kill this guy. He's doing very bad things. He's going to kill everyone. It's mm-hmm. kind of ironic thinking, you know, Cars was all about saving dogs and whatnot. But, in, you know, he actually has to, like, drain the life out of things to survive, pretty much, as they mentioned in that flashback. Um, the Pillar Men as a whole, the species itself, originally seemed a well-fit symbol for nature. Um, <clears throat> but they are not... Um, in, in like the grand scheme of things, they are not unlike humans itself, as like the pillar men almost like you know they're like the same thing. I'm basically saying the pillar men and humans are not at all, like not different at all, especially when you think of it as a real world example. Um, Definitely, pillar men could easily represent humanity as well, like a different side of them. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there there's definitely a lot of parallels. Obviously, sort of. Um, we've talked about um, how all the pillar men are sort of embody certain human uh, foibles or feelings um, and ambition is like definitely one of those. And then also, you know, I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but something that sort of oh, popped fine. into my head. Do it. Was, I have my place saved right here. <laughs> okay. Uh, so something that popped into my head was like, you know, with all, with many technology versus nature stories and with, you know, technology being sort of um, uh, represented as, like, the evil uh, side of that relationship. Um, it, it's usually, like, like humans or technology or, you know, whatever the stand-in is, is, like, a consuming force. Um, they are, you know, not in a strictly literal sense, but, you know, like, like uh, destroying trees for fuel and stuff like that. Um, and like, uh, you know, hunt, you know, overly hunting and things like that. But, you know, the pillar men are sort of more um, representative of like a literal consumption where they need to devour, you know, a being's life force to survive um, compared to like humans where it, humans or technology in these kinds of stories where it's usually a little bit more uh, metaphorical. We love a good discussion. I didn't even notice that entirely. <laughs> I had a different um, continuation on that as, you know, the pillar men as a symbol for humanity as well, slightly different um, because, you know, the pillar men were portrayed to be 
generally peaceful. They were just literally just vibing for the longest time. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but humans as well in the grand scheme of things were once not problematic at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the earth itself. Um, people way, way back in the day, TM, once lived in peace with nature, just literally living off the land, like what people were once nomadic, and that's just what they did. Once again, they were also just vibing. But the ambition of a few drove us to do great and absolutely amazing things, yet also terrible and destructive things as well, mm-hmm. which is what our boy Cars did here. And it's also, you could also sort of like, talk about the Nazis here for a hot sec because our boy Stroheim's constantly talking about science you know he's like yes I do the science German science is the greatest in the world German engineering ooh, that's the good stuff right there Mm -hmm. he's he's always like just like nutting over that (laughs) he actually like legitimately tries to make you know not incredibly not super problematic advances with science with the big uv lights and like finding out what the pillar men were mm-hmm. but at the same time he also you know is a nazi so right <laughs> we all know how that went <laughs> <laughs> did very terrible things with science as well um also i would like to um bring up something that was brought up in the first episode of the part two something i realized um that cars is ayn rand confirmed uh, <laughs> you don't want to progress with technology despite it being a very harmful sort of technology to the rest of the world then perish <laughs> it's just, yeah you know it actually is kind of objectivist now that i sort of think about objectivist. it objectivist i hate that. <laughs> oh man it's just like yes progress is good but progress that is used to ha- that is used to harm simply is not good this is the duality between cars and joseph because my boy a, li- a tiny little detail right here you got cars, he sprouts wings just for fun and flies around. And my boy Joseph steals a German fighter plane. It's like, hey, I got wings too, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he uses it to try to save the world, which is like, yes, the duality of man right here. And I also have a very fantastic list that I put together um, of the, it's, what, what's like a duality, but three of them? I don't know the word for it. I don't know. We're okay. going to call it a triality. Because Tri- we're going to call it a triality. So that's I have not a, a word, but... It, it is a word now. It's a word now. <laughs> God damn it. Um, so a good triality right here. <laughs> so we got, we, got, let's, we got Joseph. Uses technological progression for the greater good, despite being a member of a race known for destroying the planet. And he also saved his entire species that is known for destroying the planet, which is still a good act in itself. And then we got Cars, who uses technological progression for evil, despite being a member of a race that was known for being peaceful and one with nature, and he slaughtered all of those people, which was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And then we have Stroheim, uses technological improvement for evil, he is a Nazi after all, yet he also uses it for the good of humanity by creating the UV lights to destroy the Pillar Men, which is a threat to humanity as a whole, basically attempting to save the entire species. So that is something very interesting that I was like, hold up, hold up, we, we got a triality going on here. 
Yeah, I actually have a lot to say about Von Stroheim in these episodes. Oh, Stroheim does things. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, sh- should we get into that, or uh, do you want to... Feel free to get into it, because I-, I still got some Tech V Nature stuff, but that's only in, like, my conclusion, so feel free. <laughs> okay. Um. So, yeah, I, I think it just... So when I, I, I first watched this series, I didn't really think much about it, but, and like, you know, Von Stroheim was a character that I sort of uh, gravitated to a little bit, you know, just because of how silly and over the top he is. Um, and, you know, he's, he's just really entertaining to watch. Um, but I, I think it's really sort of interesting that um, he is, he all right, so like a couple things, but like the first thing that stands out to me is that um, von Stroheim is, he's in the final battle of Battle Tendency. He, I mean, it's not a major part, but you know, he's there, he's contributing. Um, and that doesn't really happen all that much in JoJo. It, I, it's really usually just the, whoever the JoJo is of that part versus the main villain. Um, and I think that, and especially a character like von Stroheim, who, as we established, is a Nazi, who is sort of this symbol of, like, the ultimate evil, um, and, but that he is still willing to help. Um, I, and I think, as well, in the ways that von Stroheim's even though it's very minor, the way his character arc sort of concludes, I think is really fascinating where um, by the end, he's not, I mean, he's motivated to, um, you know, still be loyal to uh, Germany and things like that, but much more he is loyal to um, Jojo. Um, You know, when, when Jojo says he has a plan before he runs away, von Stroheim is like, you know, I'll do what, you know, I'll do whatever I can. Just tell me what to do. Um, von Sturheim uh, saves Jojo um, from the plane crash at, like, great, uh, you know, he, even though he would survive the fall, it's still like he's lost his legs. Um, he, and um, at the end, there's sort of a, a oh, he gives uh, Jojo, um, the robotic hand, uh, at the end. And, uh, finally, when we see Von Stroheim in the montage of the characters, uh, it's sort of got a tragic element to it where, you know, um, Joseph, uh, before says, oh, I want Von Stroheim. I got to see Von Stroheim again to have him, you know, make some improvements to this, uh, robotic hand. And, uh, that doesn't happen because von Stroheim dies in the Battle of Stalingrad. Um, and I think it's just the fact that, again, you have an ultimate a representation of, like, the ultimate evil, in this case, Nazis. Um, and you sort of get, you know, semi-emotionally attached to the guy. Um, definitely more so than, you know, some other side characters. Uh, in this uh, story, um, and I, it, you know, it, moral ambiguity is a big thing we've talked about, and it sort of makes me wonder, 
um, what is being said about that. Um, you know, is is this a redemption for uh, von Stroheim at the end, or or at the very least, if he's not redeemed, is he you know on the road or like has the philosophy that could lead him towards redemption at the end? That's an interesting thing to bring up because it's something that I don't think I'm not sure if you can answer it. And I don't even, I don't think I can answer it because it's like, yes, uh, he seems like once again, there's like pe- people often like to, okay, this is not, never mind. That wasn't a good point. Um, <laughs> so, well, people like to divide personal and ideal. And I feel like that's when it comes to like, him being loyal to Jojo, at least. He's more, his personal loyalties are stronger than his ideals and his political loyalties. Like, mm-hmm. and it's it's the kind of thing, it's like, you know, what? We, we would be, it would be lovely to see a good Nazi is no longer a Nazi redemption arc. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. He stopped being that. But at the same time, he's kind of a bastard and he's kind of very flawed. And he's just gonna keep doing his thing. It was more For like sure. just, I, it was just to me. It just seemed like a buddy system that developed only because they had a common enemy. And it's it's also interesting to see that, especially like that. You know, obviously our boy Joseph is like very much not a Nazi, right? <laughs> very much not so. And but it's interesting to see two people. One, he he's also British, so they're they're literally the two countries are at war with each other. So they're pretty much, they're, you know, their nations and loyalties should be at war and their ideals are also at war as well. And yet they find this camaraderie with each other somehow. And honestly, that hits hard for me. I like that. It's, it's kind of messed up, but like at the same time, it's like, wow. That's, yeah. That's it's, it, I mean, as we've pointed out many times, it is very uncomfortable to be, you know, have an emotional attachment to a character who is a Nazi, you know, of course. Um, but it, it, I mean, I think. Damn you, Iraqi. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, I, I, I want to fight him. No, but um, I, I mean, we don't really see that. I mean, you know, spoiler warning for our Stardust Crusaders discussion, but we're not really going to see this moral ambiguity again uh, for, <laughs> Uh, at least two more parts. Um, Part five has got a little bit happening there. For sure. A a hot couple of bits. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, certainly not to this, not to this degree and not to this sort of ostentationness. Um, Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I I just realized another sort of thing um, as long as we're talking about Von Stroheim is, um, You sort of, I I wonder if, you know, I think you, I think you said that very succinctly and very well that um, Von Stroheim's character arc is him becoming more invested in personal loyalty than ideological loyalty. Um, And him fighting cars at the end is sort of the uh, distillation of that. Because if you think about it, um, you know, like Nazism is all about like the strong survive and the weak should, you know, die. Ooh, that's kind of what cars, <laughs> kind of what cars is where 
he's he's the ultimate being. I mean, he's literally invincible. Um, but nevertheless, von Stroheim is has a, a keen interest in you know killing cards. Uh, it, it, it's a uh, I mean, it's a very sort of subtle rejection of, uh, you know, Nazism ideology. Not, not. Uh, see, this is this is the problem with discussing this character. It's like I want to make my points clear without like coming off as like, you know, a, a bad person or like you know saying things wrong. But I mean, um, he, like, like he, like. Von Stroheim is still a Nazi at the end of the story. And that that's a bad thing, you know, don't get me wrong. But this is sort of like a, this is like a flicker of like him rejecting his Nazism. Yeah, I mean, I vibe with that. Mm-hmm. It's also, it, it could be that. It could also be like a little bit of hypocrisy on his end. Or it's like another thought that I had is that our boy Stroheim never really seemed concerned with the fact that, like, Nazism is an inherently racist, you know, ideology. He seemed mm-hmm. less, co- he seemed less, less concerned with the ideology itself and more concerned with technological and scientific progression. It's like, because one, you, you got Smokey, he's standing right there, and <laughs> yeah, our boy Stroheim does not care, okay? He's, <laughs> yeah. So it's just all, just all of those, he, he never really did anything explicitly racist TM. I mean, he did experiment on human people. Right. <laughs> Forgot about that. Okay, maybe he did. But, I, I, but at I the guess. same time, he, he was, through, even throughout that, he seemed more concerned with, you know, more, it's, it's less, it's more patriotism. But like a really messed up kind of patriotism, but the the nationalism. The, the, the focus say. is more on nationalism. Yeah, and like even you know you bring up the the, the human experimentation, which like yeah, that's it's fucked up, obviously. That, but that happened for a hot second. I was like, oh wait, that it, happened. It, it never comes across as like. Like, like, if they were all, like, white people, like, he probably would have still done the human experimentation, like... Plus, he let some of them survive. He was like, I admire, you know, despite the fact that, you know, none of them were white, he was like, oh, this one, I admire your bravery, you can live. Yeah, and, like, he, so he that's never... That's what made me think that. He never in... He never, like, has... Makes a person's, like, race or ethnicity, like, a part of his philosophy, it's more, as you said, like technology and like whatever progresses that. And like, obviously he's, he, you know, steps into like war crimes when he does that, but you know, he's not inherently racist because of it. And that this is where we get to the good old lovely humanity using technology for bad things. Mm-hmm. There we go. That is that. Nice <laughs> that segue. Is that is what that is what Stroheim is doing. He may have, you know, if he didn't die, he may, you know, he was. He seemed very enthusiastic about fighting, though, in that last part. Yeah. 
I mean, I, he's got, like, the Dr. I, Octopus. I love that scene, though, at the end where he's just, like, normal, and it's just like, ah, yes, the, the narrator's like, ah, yes, he died in the Battle of Stalingrad, but, like, the last time you see him, he was like, German science is the greatest in the world, and then, <laughs> but then he, like, goes full cyborg and starts killing people. <laughs> yeah. That's, that was a very silly thing. I Absolutely. It's especially the fact that in the dub, he sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's he's so, even in the sub, he's like so overacted. Oh, absolutely! It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, he's just yelling all the time. <laughs> he's just he's just yelling so much, bro. Relax. <laughs> it's also kind of like a dumbass. Let's just you know. Yeah. He do the science, but he he's way too enthusiastic about it. He doesn't give me the smartest vibes because he's constantly, like, underestimating all of his enemies. He's like, ah, yes, Kara's just still gonna die. And then he's like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm back, fam. I'm gonna kill all of you. Yeah. Like, he's done that so many times. Like, especially when Santana was existing. He was like, ah, he's stupid. But then Santana's like, I can speak now and I'm gonna kill all of you. <laughs> he's like, oh, oops, I messed up. Ah, shit, fam. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, you wanted to get back into the technology versus nature uh, Actually, discussion. I can't really do that until I get to my big conclusion, but I do. Oh, have, okay. I do have two other topics to get through, kind of. So I, I have, have at least one other. So I'll I'll okay. let you do your topic. Okay. So we have the, this is a smaller one. It's sort of a, a minor character examination of Joseph and Cars. So we'll start with Joseph because I have better content on him. Um, I feel like, I just wanted to say that I feel like the quote from one of the episodes, so what, I need to breathe, who cares if I look silly while doing it? I feel like that completely <laughs> sums up his character entirely. Yeah. It's like, yes, I need to do this. I don't care if I look dumb. I'm going to do it anyways. I need to do this. But, you know, he, he doesn't care if he looks like a dumbass while, you know, embarrassing himself he he like he needs to trick somebody into thinking that he's a dumbass. He doesn't care how he looks as long as he gets the job done. And that's, I can respect that. Um uh, also it's 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 just ooh, I'm trying to get also eh um <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I was like look, uh, I, notes. I realized ah notes. I didn't organize them as well as I thought I did. But what, uh, another point, just two other little points about him caring about his family a lot, two little observations. Thinking that the thoughts that he is thinking at the moment will be his final thoughts as he is about to not die because he doesn't die. Um, mm -hmm. Joseph thinks of his grandma and it's like, yes, homeboy really does care about his family. And then once again, another example of him really care, actually caring about the people it's almost like he actually shows that he probably cares about his family and friends more than he does himself because of the fact that, you, you know, he kept trying, like, this is twice now that he's purposely lured the pillar men away from people to get them chasing him and away from other people, caring less if he dies. And, like, at one point when he's running, he's like, ooh, the secret Joestar technique, run away. He runs away. Cars is chasing him. Smokey follows him just for fun. And <clears throat> he just straight up tells Smokey, he's like, why are you following me, fam? I don't want you to get hurt. I'm trying to get Cars away from you guys. Come on. So, All right. So I lied. I do have a second point, but I'll, I'll let you finish ooh, first. Fantastic. 
Um, there's also a tiny little detail about cars that um, we discussed in the last episode where we like, I guess he doesn't care about Wamu, but he did state at one point that he wanted revenge for what happened to Wamu in ACDC. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing, and he never mentioned Santana, so I guess nobody cares about Santana. <laughs> nobody cares about him. He was the, he was the, Wamu was the favorite child. <laughs> Santana was the older brother. <laughs> he was... Yeah. He, he was he was the nobody nobody paid attention to poor Santana. He's he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> also, something that just came into my head when cars became like the ultimate being, I was just like, one is all and all is one. Mm. Full metal <laughs> alchemist. <laughs> and also just something really, really, really awesome, which is like the reason why every time I watch the ending of part two that i'm just like this is good we have this awesome protagonist who is fighting this dude and it's very good um despite our boy joseph winning pretty much due to luck at the end in the you know in the beginning joseph like even in the beginning of the fight joseph outsmarts cars pretty hard despite the fact that cars is supposed to be like very smart and like Mm -hmm. they literally assume of having an iq of 400 like goddamn and at the end, one of my favorite things about the end, it just makes me smile for some reason, is that um, Joseph makes it seem like he planned this whole thing all along. And in yeah. his head, he's like, I didn't plan any of this. This is crazy. <laughs> and then he's like, but if, if, I, if I make cars think that I planned it, it's going to drive him nuts. And it's just like, he's just doing it to like, drive cars crazy because he just wants to he just wants to <laughs> cause problems on purpose mm-hmm. so is that all i have on my little character like my tiny tiny miniature character analysis i think it an, an, analysis <laughs> i think it is okay <laughs> do do your thing go off sis. all right well i have a bunch of points to respond to that are all different so i guess i'll just start with the last thing with what you said which is um cars in these episodes i think um so obviously our biggest point of reference in terms of uh having a main villain is dio from phantom blood and both dio and cars sort of sorry dio didn't care about anybody dio didn't care about anybody and uh that's exactly what i was going to get into is that you know so both like dio and cars uh, view themselves as like gods and higher beings and stuff like that. I mean, you know, Dio's name is literally God, uh, as we've established. Um, but uh, what's interesting is that Cars doesn't really have the personality of, you know, some uh, as someone as like you would imagine being a god. Um, like, D- like the only reason Dio sort of acknowledges jonathan and uh zapelli and speedwagon in phantom blood is that they pose a threat to him because of well you know because of hamon sans speedwagon um whereas cars nothing presents a threat to him um he's literally invincible yet he is very personally motivated to um you know kill Jojo as his first act of, uh, you know, ascending, um, which is sort of a, 
you know, it's not the type of thing you would imagine a, a God to do. Um, and because, because he is so like personally motivated because even though he is like physically, you know, you could consider him a God, um, pers- emotionally and mentally, um, he's still just like a regular human. And that is his ultimate downfall. That's what, uh, gets him, you know, that's what gets him brain dead at the end. Um, is, is that, um, personal motivation. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting. It's, it's like, he, he talks about being a God, but even so he's not a God because of his personal and emotional hangups. Indeed. Um, likes to cause problems on purpose. He's also very sadistic. Like, he's even more sadistic than ACDC, almost. Mm-hmm. Music to my ears. Yeah. He literally just likes to cause pain. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I mean, like, I, I feel like even then you could sort of argument argue that, like, maybe he's more personally interested in JoJo not necessarily because he's sadistic but more so that you know he killed he killed wamu and acdc but certainly it it contributes to my point that uh cars is emotionally motivated and that's what caused him to fail um he's sadistic towards people but not towards the animals or the flowers mm -hmm. (laughs) he vibes with dogs he's one of those people it's like i am more i am friend best friends with my dog and i hate everyone He's a dog person. He's a dog person, <laughs> honestly. He, I feel like he, he's also probably a cat person. He's like the kind of person that would just live completely alone in the middle of nowhere, except with like 100 dogs and 100 cats to keep him company. <laughs> um, On a farm. <laughs> he's a farm guy. <laughs> alternate universe. Alternate. <laughs> like, I mean, alternate universe where um, ACDC and cars are farm gays raising their two children. <laughs> I mean, there is that alternate universe, alternate universe story where there's like 50 cars and like they all like come together. How did he make more of himself? I'm very curious. <laughs> <laughs> He's mitosis, I guess. Um, but uh, Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> the Redstone Vaja is the powerhouse of the cell. The redstone Um, is the powerhouse of the cars. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the second point I had to respond to is, I mean, you sort of briefly mentioned it, but uh, I'll bring it up anyway, uh, is that, you know, I I think we've brought this up in nearly every episode, but Battle Tendency is all about subverting expectations created by Phantom Blood. We love subverting expectations. And these three episodes are the ultimate subversion of expectations. Um, be, so for a couple of reasons. Um, it, primarily, and it's, it's very meta that they do this, but um, the big example is uh, that um, when, you know, Joseph is on the rock and we see him pass out, um, it, there's like the little timestamp, like February, whatever, uh, the date of Joseph Joestar's death, and then he ends up alive. Um, 
it's the sort most hilarious of hilarious way possible. Yeah, I, it, it's because remember that's how Phantom Blood goes out with the like, you know, with the exact same font and the exact same sort of way that it's written, um, but yet Joseph survives. Um, we in Phantom Blood. It, it sort of feels like Jonathan, um, you know, once his throat gets punctured, he's sort of, like, given up at that point. He's just like, hey, I'm going to stop Dio, and I'll probably die doing so. Um, but uh, in Joseph, uh, comparatively, like, him dying, him sacrificing himself to kill cars is, like, not plan A, um, because when the piranhas eat through the, the, the plane, um, they like get at a parachute and he's like, Hey, like get off the parachute. Um, which sort of makes me think that there's like two parachutes and the piranhas ate the first one. And then he uses the second one as the decoy. Um, and, but, you know, I, I think that sort of shows like it, you know, philosophically, uh, Joseph is very different from his grandfather um, and even different than George, who uh, is his father, who is much more willing to uh, put himself in immediate danger um, rather than thinking his way around the situation, you know, analyzing all the, the possible outcomes. Um, and I, 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 it's just such a cool moment that they, you know, have the, the meta like date of death, uh, like omniscient narrator thing. And then Joseph comes back um, in, you know, probably one of the most hilarious ways possible. That's the other thing is that the last scene is at the funeral, is at the uh, graveyard and supposed to be very somber and serious. And then Joseph, Joe Stark comes sauntering up and like, like puts his hands in front of Arena's eyes and he's like, guess who? It's like so much undercuts the scene, but um, you know, is love it so much. It, I love it so much, and it's like the final emphasis of like, um, this isn't your traditional good versus evil Jonathan Joe Star hero. It is very good that you bring up that whole thing because we have a solid transition, I think, here into mm. a one of my dummy thick topics that I feel like is once again a topic that we have touched upon actually not even touched upon that we've just like discussed in great detail in almost every episode and that is destiny and legacy both at the same time um <clears throat> so this this is some good this is good content right here I need, <laughs> I'm gonna stare at these notes for a hot sec um so, a, a good old subversion of expectations, yet also th this, this subversion of expectations also plays into the theme of the, the Joestar destiny. I think of that scene where Speedwagon laments over the fact that the Joestar men always seem to die young, as the past three of them had, you know, had their lives cut short very bloody and very painfully. Mm -hmm. um, my boy Speedweed is very afraid that <laughs> Joseph's destiny will be the same as well. However, once again, as you said, Joseph breaks every expectation we have of him, and he beats destiny as well. 
he lives a long, long life up until the 21st century and dies of old age peacefully, as we can assume, with many more wacky adventures and near-death experiences in between. He almost mm-hmm. dies three times, and he's fine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and once again, everyone thought that our boy Joseph was dead, which would be carrying out the family destiny, but once again, he fools them, and he maybe even fools destiny and him uh, that blah, 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 destiny itself. <laughs> He mm-hmm. fools destiny, he fools cars, he fools everyone. He is a fool. <laughs> that, is, that is his trademark thing. He's just, he, he's, he, he's, his trickery skills are so amazing that he even tricks God. Mm-hmm. And he tricks <laughs> the very fabric of the universe. <laughs> he's just too powerful. He, he's too powerful of a, of a creature. He shouldn't be allowed to exist. Maybe that's why Cars wanted to kill him. It, I really like that idea. And especially, you know, you brought up the, the great moment where he's, he tells Cars, like, of course I planned this. And he thinks, like, oh, man, this was just, like, blind luck. Like, I didn't have any of this on luck. Um, that, that is almost, like, the ultimate trick. You know, him, like being tricky about the nature of his quote-unquote trick um which is trick you when you trick someone into thinking that you pulled a trick on them but you actually didn't exactly yeah (laughs) you know i mean it's like he i mean that that is really his superpower i mean i I sort of feel like that i mean especially once we get into stardust crusaders um you know, Joseph is maybe not the most capable fighter physically. I mean, I almost even feel like there's an argument to be made that Jonathan was more powerful in his use of Haman compared to uh, Joseph, uh, even after the training. But um, Jonathan was too much of a himbo. Yeah, <laughs> but he wasn't the smartest. Joseph's greatest <clears throat> asset is his intelligence. Um, and these episodes really emphasize that, and it's just it's just a very entertaining character trait to have. It's just like all the stars align in these episodes, because it's also a very fantastic detail where you have the part one opening playing yes. during when Joseph's like, ha-ha, got him, you know? It's I, I just think... brilliant. It's just, it also is something interesting that I've noticed is that we have... It's all, when you when you watch all of JoJo and you've gotten to through part five and especially once it the rest of it gets animated, you look back on it and you think where it all starts and there's like several starting points and it's almost like yes, Jonathan did something, but you know once again Joseph is usually the one that you think of because he was the only one to really live through it and continue doing things like he did the most wacky stuff. He was the most Joe star out of all of the Joe stars we see. In mm-hmm. JoJo, he certainly sets up expectations for the the personalities of every all the other JoJos being sort of uh, extreme, shall we say? Like, oh, um, yes, not going to be perfect. We're going to have Jotaro, who's just kind of an asshole sometimes. And then you have <laughs> Josuke, who is soft most of the time, but also kind of a little bastard as well. Um, then you have Jorno, who's like, yes, I'm going to kill people. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I I had a small galaxy brain moment there, so I'm just gonna say that real quick. Do so, um, the so well, two things. One, having the part one opening just you know even more reinforces our expectations that it will be like part one where Joseph dies, where you know the JoJo dies, um, which is not what happens. And then the other thing is that um, the the title of the part one opening. Um, is uh, Sonochi no Sadame, I believe. Yeah. And if you put that, the rough translation of that is uh, Destiny of That Blood. Um, and so, as you said, this is like, no. nope, <laughs> Destiny can, you know. Suck my ass. Exactly. <laughs> Joseph Joestar is like, he's not playing by your destiny. He makes his own destiny, which is an extreme extremely rare thing in jojo as a franchise in general i mean you like there's almost an argument to be made that he is actually like a victim of destiny because of like it's basically the severed hand that wins the day um which is totally random and luck based um but just the fact that like he's willing to say like like he's he he like destiny like he makes it his own thing He's like, yeah, that wasn't destiny. I did all that. Like it's that's a very like reoccurring thing. That's like a subversion. Uh, that's <laughs> another subversion. And we also got there's like a couple of tiny details about that that I just love, like especially when we think of in retrospect, all the way once again you finish the show. You think of our boy over here, and it's interesting to think once again you never see him tell the stories of how he literally saved the world and nobody really knew it you mm-hmm. never hear him tell those stories to any of his family members and yet you know it's just it, it's interesting to see like throughout the parts it's like yes he has this like fake arm and it's it's shown it's like it, it sort of reminds you it's like a permanent reminder through every part of what he once did which is pretty cool um there was also two quotes that i have here that i just thought were very spicy and i liked them when my boy joseph says maybe this is the hand that my blood dealt me and i was like bruh but that was like right before he was like ah yeah maybe i'm just destined to die and then it's like nope i'm not gonna die (laughs) and then it's just something that i haven't really something that could sort of uh, a quote that i have here that could sort of transition into my big conclusion unless you have another point I think I'm good. Okay. So another another a quote that can sort of transition is my boy Speedwagon once again providing us with the quality commentary. His commentary <laughs> is a lot better than most people think it is. Sometimes he's like, yes, I'm going to narrate this fight. But other times he's like, I'm actually going to make very meaningful observations of what's happening right now. It's a lot better in battle tendency, to oh, be yes. sure. And he says... At least in the dub, he says this, because once again, I'm going back and forth episode for episode. The dub, the sub, either way, I'm just I'm switching back and forth. Hmm. Um, he says, fly, boy, and don't look back. That's all we humans can do to save our skins. And that's, that's a good, I'm not sure exactly what to say about that, but it, I can tie it into this. Um, two other theories that sort of connect humanity as a whole. Our boy Joseph, once again, at one point said, I did all he could, he told himself, as the narrator said, accepting the fact that he is not perfect. Um, 
this can all lead up into a greater theme, I think, of just humanity as a whole. Intelligent creatures that use this intel that use the intelligence they have for good, they also use it for evil. Humanity is imperfect, and that is why it is good. Cars tried to achieve perfection, and this goal <laughs> did a lot more harm than good. He sacrificed others, he killed a lot of people, he slaughtered his entire race um, <laughs> just in mm-hmm. order to try to be quote-unquote perfect, when in reality he was... Just to get some vitamin D. Yes, just to get some vitamin D. Um, In reality, he was corrupting himself even more and more, and ultimately he sacrificed himself in the process, as I think once you stop changing and growing as a person and become quote-unquote perfect, there is no longer a story to be had because you simply fall into stagnation. And I feel like this is why... I like Jojo part two so much because it shows imperfect characters and all their glories and flaws and shows that once again, becoming perfect is inachievable because cars supposedly did that. But as you said before, physically he may have been so, but mentally he was far from that. Um, So back onto imperfection, each character is incredibly flawed from Joseph and his incredible bastardry to Caesar and his own brand of bastardry. (laughs) It's a different kind, but it's still his. It's still bastardry. To Stroheim being a literal Nazi. To, you know, all all of the characters, none of them are like good people, TM. Um, Then you got the pillar men trying to be perfect and failing terribly at it. Our main cast consists of people who are far less than noble. They are not noble at all. And if they are noble, they're noble to a fault. Um, people are not perfect, so that's why we relate to imperfect characters, and that's what makes us like them so much, and that's why I really like JoJo Part 2. <laughs> that is my conclusion. I mean, that's, uh, that's a pretty perfect conclusion, if I had to say. I don't, I don't know if I can, I can top that in any See, way. See, I told you before we started this, I was like, yo, ten minutes ago, I just died in the best way possible. <laughs> I was just writing this like, yo, galaxy brain, I'm vibing. I just died, but turns out I was being nursed back to health in Italy, and I got married (laughs) to this girl. (laughs) Is it time to talk about silly stuff? Because Um, I guess so. There's quite a few things. I think we hit the nail on the head on that one. I think we finished part two, but not quite. Not until we talk about silly stuff. Not until we talk about the silly stuff. I don't have that much in terms of silly stuff i got I a have, few though i have a hot couple of things i once again the guess who thing i yeah the guess who thing I, is I hilarious every single time <laughs> um the vampire squirrel has Ooh. to be one of the most like completely out of left field things to ever happen in this series i mean and i say that having watched every single part of jojo i mean like and my fa- my favorite part about it is that um, <laughs> when the when this like the vampire squirrel is about to eat the regular squirrel, and Joseph just goes, "Watch out, squirrel!" <laughs> it's, it's like so he's good. like deeply connected to this squirrel. Ours <laughs> and his pet squirrel. Also, one of my favorite like little quotes from this when, when Joe said hey squirrel get away from that thing you don't exactly. know the, you don't know the guy it's made of 
Yeah, that's that's what I was talking about. I very much love that. I I just like paused it and I was like, I really appreciate that sentence. It's very good. You don't know the guy it's made of. <laughs> also, at one point when like when Cars becomes perfect TM, he like screams. And in both the dub and the sub, the scream is like terrifying. It's yeah. like so weird. And it's just I think I know what you're talking like, about. This he sounds. I don't even know how to describe what he sounds like. He sounds like, like, like a ghost from a horror movie. Like, <laughs> like, like some sort of banshee screeching. And I'm like, bruh, why yeah, so are you doing this? I watched the sub, and I think if we're talking about the same thing, um, you know, because like Cars is like a relatively deep voice in the sub. Um, it goes high. Yeah, it gets very high. <laughs> like, even in both, I've watched the sub and the dub, and in both versions, it's like, both is, it's like a pretty deep voice, and suddenly it's just like high-pitched for some reason, and it's just like, <laughs> Cars has, Cars is hilarious. Like, I'm, begin, I'm beginning to know that, because he seems, most of the time, I feel like this is a common thing with just most characters in JoJo, especially the villain, where it's like, oh, yes, I seem, like, somewhat normal. Like, I'm well put together, but, like, every once in a while, I'll do something really, yeah, really weird. Cool. Like, the tongue thing and the, the leg guitars. Yeah. And the tongue thing happens all the time. Like, bruh. Not to mention the <laughs> screaming. Like, that only happened once. And I was just, what was the, I want to know what was the direction. Like, when the voice actor was, like, both of them were recording that. Like, what, what did the person say to the voice actor? <laughs> I want to know what they said. Especially the fact that it's in the dub. That's really interesting. Oh, it, it's um, in both. Like, it's, it's, it just goes from, a, like, just a regular, a regular human voice to suddenly this high-pitched animal noise. <laughs> Um, the only other silly thing I could, I really noticed was, and this is a super minor thing. I didn't even notice, like, um, like I watched the episodes regularly and I was typing up the summary and I had to go back to like double check, uh, something. And, um, if you look at Joseph's face, when <laughs> there, it's the shot of him, Susie Q and, uh, Lisa Lisa on the boat to America. You look at his face, and he oh, looks—he looks like I don't like like I don't even know. Like he just ate like like a really bad gas station sushi, and it's completely static. Like it doesn't move at all. It's it's. I noticed that as well. So weird, but like when I when I saw that, I just burst out laughing. Like. I had not noticed this for two rewatches, and then it just like sneaks up on me. <laughs> a headcanon, um, Susie Q just told a very weird joke, and he's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Either it was like a very like stupid joke, a very like confusing joke, or a very like just, like it's like slightly offensive him. and like he doesn't know how to feel about it slightly offensive or like like one of those jokes that like you someone tells it and he just didn't understand it at first and he had to think about it for a couple minutes <laughs> i like all those answers those are my theories oh man i have several other semi-silly things yeah go one for of my it favorite things is 
Joseph and Susie Q being dumbasses together. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this relationship, it's not going to work. But then you see it at the end, it's like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> They're both <laughs> so incredibly silly. <laughs> I mean, it's like so... when he gets angry at her for like not sending the note and she's laughing about it. And like he looks all menacing and stuff, and he's like clicking his fingers, and then she's like, "Oh, now, now, let's not get all clicky fingers." <laughs> he's just <laughs> yeah, like just clicking his fa- his fake fingers for some reason, just like staring at her, and it's just like it- it's so good. One thing, so good. Um, oh, excuse me. Um, one one attention to detail that sort of goes along with that is the flashback where he's in Italy. He's in, like, the full body cast. And she starts, like, fucking with him by, like, moving around the cherry or whatever <laughs> it is. So, like, he can't eat it. <laughs> that's that's why I was, like, at first it was, like, okay, you got Susie Q who has, she has a personality. But they seem very different. It's just, but then at the end you're, you just see them being stupid together. And it's, like, yes, this is why this works. Susie Q is shown to be, like, not very smart at all. And I mean, very, you know, indecisive. She's she's emotionally intelligent. But you got our boy over here who's like, yes, I will. I'm literally a trickster god. And the two of them surprisingly fit well together. They're just having a good time. I still feel like it's way too rushed, but... Oh, yes. They're at least cute together. Oh, yeah. Very, very wholesome content. Also, um... I also find, like, a small detail that I found funny was when Smokey got super invested in the Joestar family history. It was so funny to me because he rants about it like he's just watching a TV show that he really likes. It's like, but why? But why did this happen? And he starts crying, and he just, he gets so, he gets so invested in it. And he's like, no, he, at that point, he's known them for, like, half a year, maybe. Actually, maybe Yeah, it's, like, six months, I think. It's been, like, a whole six months, and literally, Arena just sort of adopts him. <laughs> right. Like, you are my child now. And he's just like, he doesn't know anything about this wacky family that he discovered. Just on, like, he literally just, like, stole this guy's wallet. And <laughs> then the dude's <laughs> like, okay, um, I see the cops are being mean to you, so I'm going to beat them up. Oh, crap, I accidentally beat them up. My grandma's going to get mad at me. Why don't we just go and, like, hide somewhere, okay, fam? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like their friendship is i would love to see more of that because they were so like the the moments between the two of them were just great yeah i think Smokey is like one of the best fish out of water characters we've ever had in the series um you know again sort of a, a, a problem is that all these side characters really do not get enough screen time but you know characters also my boy Smokey becoming the first black mayor in georgia i'm so proud of him He's a good boy. He's he's very good. Got that poly sci major. Yeah, he got he got a co- he's a college educated boy. We we, we <laughs> saw him grow up from on the streets to being the literal mayor of a city. So proud of him. Um, also the dubstep. Yeah, the the, the random dubstep, dubstep is. I love I, like literally Cars' theme is just dubstep, and it's just. Does, is dubstep as a genre even a thing anymore? Like, I feel like it only existed for five years, like, from, like, 2010 to 2015, and then it, like, stopped existing. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't even say 2015, I feel like. Yeah, it but... was just, like, it was literally just, like, probably even, like, 2013, 2014, maybe. 
who knows yeah, I, very all bizarre, i know is that nobody cares about dubstep anymore <laughs> but that's that's when part two was animated so that would make sense also my very very last thing to mention we get a tiny glance of a pillar woman yeah <laughs> just one <laughs> tiny glimpse and i can appreciate that a lot she's what uh, she, she's lovely so were her name be uh fleetwood mac <laughs> like what's a female-led Fleetwood Mac. rock band? Yes, the pillar woman named Fleetwood Mac. I love that. <laughs> I want to draw that. I am an art kid, as you may know. I'm gonna draw. I'm gonna draw JoJo OC, the pillar woman. Her name is Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mackenzie. <laughs> um. All right. So I, I I feel like that was a very satisfying conclusion. Uh, oh, yes. This. this is a Gucci brand episode. <laughs> We're not covering the Gucci comics yet. <laughs> we'll get no, there eventually. <laughs> eventually. All right. So uh, if you want to uh, continue uh, seeing uh, all the silly and semi-serious stuff I post about, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Thomas M. Brickman. Um, I also do another podcast uh, where I talk video game news and reviews with my buddy Kevin. Uh, we're on hiatus right now, but I we do have uh, some mysterious projects coming down the line. You know, maybe, maybe a Let's Play of some kind. Who knows? Ooh. Um, so if you want updates on that and uh, you want to go through the archive, get some good uh, quarantine listening going, uh, you can go on YouTube. It's post-game content on YouTube and uh, keep up with all the news and goings on with that. You can follow us at PostGameCon. That's at PostGameCon on Twitter. And uh, Emily, where can people find your stuff and uh, your thoughts about things? I am present on Twitter at Emily Vinkles. I do Twitter reviews of animes, which are not good and like not long enough to make a full reveal, but review. But like nonetheless, I share my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, uh, sometimes I tweet very random, silly stuff out of nowhere, so that's good. I feel like your stuff is a lot more insightful than my stuff, at the very least. But, you know, it's not saying much. (laughs) My stuff is not very insightful. But uh, if you want to see... Your stuff is good, though. It doesn't have to be insightful to be good. (laughs) That's true. Um, But uh, if you want to see all the... If you want to catch up with all the news going on with this podcast... um, you want to see all the awesome memes that Emily finds and sometimes makes, uh, you can follow the social media accounts for this podcast. It's at I want to fight AR1 on Twitter and I want to fight RRT on Instagram. Uh, and as you guys, um, if you remember from this, the summary at the very beginning of this episode, uh, next week is not going to be Stardust Crusaders. We're doing something a little bit different. <laughs> um, we're going to be doing... I mean, I, I don't know how much I want to uh, give away because it's probably going to be a little bit more of a spontaneous episode. Um, but, you know, our our main battle tendency discussion is over, but, you know, we've got a few more things to, to go over. So uh, be sure to tune in for that episode next Saturday, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>